Hey Google, time for across the pond. I understood. Time for across the pond. Is that right? Yes. Get ready for across the pond with Barry and Chad. Starting in five, four, three, two, one. You're live. Good morning, Barry. How are you doing today? You were complaining at having to turn a fan off and I was just sighing, rolling my eyes at you because outside of this window, which I luckily have a curtain blocking my view from, is just absolute <laughs> misery. Chad, we have the absolute opposite of this side. A beautiful <laughs> African summer is in our midst. <sighs> Blue skies today, super, super hot. And for the sake of our listeners out there, we have to turn the fan off for the noise, but just know that I'm sacrificing all of that cool breeze, Chad. <laughs> all of the sacrifices you have to make, Barry, just to get us through this wonderful episode that we call Across the Pond. I still haven't released the uh, episode from last week. It's been taking an age to uh, edit, to render, but there's loads of memories that we obviously have there to, to go through. So looking forward to that. Obviously, by the time you're listening to this, that'll certainly be out. Barry, you went out yesterday, had a, a nice trip. We're looking at a dam that's covered by wonderful greenery. Yeah, Chad, went out to Heart of Beer Sport with my family. It was a beautiful day out. But like you say, on the dam, there's these hyacinth. I think that's the, the, the plant that's growing from the from the, from the ground up into the, 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 the surface of the water. And it's formed this complete like carpet of green across sure. a lot of the dam. And it's actually not a good thing because yeah. I think it's really damaging the environment. And I don't know what they're going to do about it because this is so invasive and so it grows so quickly that I don't know what they're going to do. It's completely green in a lot of the areas, which is a bit weird to see. It's just crazy. I know it was getting rampant at about the time that I was leaving and at that stage already it was too far gone uh, so devastating stuff for all of those who have ever been to Harbour Sport Dam out in uh, well not too far from Johannesburg about an hour's drive out uh, I mean all of those people who were enjoying water sports and rock diving and all that stuff absolutely devastating man yeah, definitely. Especially for those who have properties right on the yeah. water. That must be absolute. I mean, those properties are worth a lot of money. Yeah. And when you buy it, you assume you're going to have complete access to this water. And then this, these plants have just grown and grown and grown and kind of covered that whole shoreline. So it's a little bit worrying. I don't know what they're going to do about it. At some stage, they're going to have to try and do something. But if you try and kill those plants, you're going to kill everything in the dam yeah. with it. So it's, it's a bit tough to know what to do there. Yeah, definitely is. Well, Barry, last week we missed out a heck of a lot of things that have been happening. Let's catch up. The week that was. We're talking the US election. Now, so many things to talk about in this election. <laughs> Obviously, uh, you know, going into it, very, very mixed uh, feelings coming from, from different polls. And obviously, you know, when it comes to polls, the reliability of them is questionable. Uh, and obviously, we've seen that has actually happened leading into it. We saw the debates. We saw all of that kind of stuff, Barry. It's been quite a tumultuous year for the US. We're talking COVID. We're talking Black Lives Matter. We're talking all of this stuff. Uh, and obviously, this was quite an important election. Yeah, I think one of the most important ones in recent times, Chad, because America has never been more divided in our lifetimes, right? At the moment, there's this huge divisive rhetoric between the left and the right, and people really hate each other across that yeah. aisle, right? For the first time in a long time, America doesn't feel united. It doesn't feel like everyone's on the same page. And this election was kind of the culmination of all of this, this drama, the stress, and this worry that really happened. And the fact that it happened over a couple of days just increased everyone's stress levels, right? Yeah. Because 
We had to wait and wait and wait and wait for results. And you saw lots and lots of back and forth between the two parties and the media going absolutely crazy. So I think for the last week, not only has America been thinking about this, but the whole world has been talking about it. It's a very, very important election and a very strange time to have it indeed in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the reason for all of that delay that we had and the, the, I guess the cliffhanger, the ongoing cliffhanger, when are we going to get a state that will swing the, the actual outcome of the vote? Because uh, we're talking about the electoral college votes here. Obviously, there is the Senate vote as well. Um, and I guess the main reason for us having that ongoing cliffhanger was all of these postal votes, which for the first time uh, showed up in massive numbers. And that's understandable. Yeah, definitely. I think for everyone who's, who's serious about this pandemic and doesn't want to stand in long lines and gather with lots of people, the mail-in ballots were very, very important. And so we saw millions and millions and millions of people mailing in their votes as opposed to going standing at the polls. And what made it so bizarre, Chad, was, of course... The Republicans and Trump were very much against mail-in ballots right from the start yep. because they knew that the, their supporters are much more likely to go and vote in person, whereas the Democrats and Biden supporters were much more happy to vote by mail-in ballot because they tend to take COVID a little bit more seriously yep. than the Republicans do. And so you had this mismatch between in on the day of the election, people standing in lines, Trump was leading in all of these major states, and it looked like he was on for a landslide. But what they didn't, what they failed to account for, what they didn't realize was that the majority of the mail-in ballots we're going to be cast for Biden. And so as the days went on, we watched the numbers slowly crept up and Biden slowly, slowly crept up to Trump's numbers, eventually overtaking him in a number of key states in a way that's been very bizarre over a three or four day period. Yep. And that has caused all this chaos because there's all these allegations now that there's large spread voter fraud, large spread male voter fraud. And that's what Trump is kind of banging the drum about, yep. trying to fight the fact that he is, he's lost this election. Well, let's talk about that press conference, Barry. So that was, I, I guess, on the first day, really, where as soon as he realized that there was this potential and it actually had become a real potential, they started doing their calculations, obviously, within the party. And uh, he came out, basically called the election, said that he had won it, and uh, outright basically said there has been a fraud that's occurred and no evidence still has been presented to date. But that was just such a bizarre press conference. I don't think you or I will ever see anything like that in our lifetimes from a president ever again especially the president of the United States, Chad. Like that, that kind of speech, if there was coming out of, a, out of the mouth of a dictator in, in the Middle East or in Africa or any of those sort of countries, it would, be, it would kind of be explainable because that's yeah. the kind of way that democracy works in some of, the, some of the places where things aren't working the way they should. The fact that the U.S. democracy, the sitting president of the U.S., came out to make a speech like that is just absolutely insane yeah. and it, it, it's par for the course for 2020 like it, it was almost one of those things that 2020 just it just pulls all these crazy crazy pieces out every single time yeah. and uh watching that speech chad really made me worry about the state of american democracy and i think for a lot of americans they felt the same way is that when your sitting president is criticizing the whole way the vote is being done I mean, it's, it's tantamount to a coup. It's tantamount yep. to like kind of threatening these sorts of things. And I think for the Republican Party to see their leader go and do that, I think has been very, very difficult. Like, do you stick by him? Do you kind of try and kick him out the way and kind of hold to your principles? And you watch the media try and figure out how do you report on a story like that? Yep. Where in any other country in the world, you would say, oh, that's a terrible, terrible uh, 
mark on democracy. In the US, it simply shouldn't happen. And the fact that it did just shows how bizarre of a president President Trump has actually been. Yeah, well, let's talk about their supporters because I saw a number of interviews with supporters who are obviously still out there on the streets protesting, doing all their thing. And for me, they have completely 100% taken his side. There is this blind conviction in their eyes and even though there is no evidence so far that's been presented obviously if there was you know more of a discussion to be had but just to see these people have this blind conviction uh, for their kind of cult-like leader was quite interesting for me to see definitely i mean i i was, I was doing this little jump i was jumping between cnn and say right-wing media and seeing how they report on the same stuff yeah. and it's two different universes Joe. Okay. We've chatted a lot in the past about how social media is dividing us into these echo chambers that kind of feed us only the information that we agree with. And that is to be seen in, in stark clarity in this election because those people are living in a different universe. In their world, it is absolutely obvious that election fraud has happened and that the, and that the Democrats have stolen this election. And so they feel so passionately about this. They want to put things right. And they believe in democracy and they think they've been kind of hoodwinked. Yeah. And the crazy thing is that there's no evidence to back that up. But in those kind of echo chambers, that's exactly the rhetoric that you hear. And that's why you see these mass protests, thousands and thousands of people gathering in cities around the U.S. in the middle of a pandemic to protest this, this election fraud that we haven't seen any evidence of. Yeah. It, it, it's we have to remember that over 70 million people voted for this guy. Yeah. It's not like it was yeah. a or not a, it wasn't a landslide. It was a close, close election, yeah. and over 70 million Americans believe in this guy, and like you say, are loyal to a fault, which is a bit crazy. Yeah, it really, really is. And I mean, just even to look at the record number of voters that turned out in total, uh, I certainly think uh, is is something to be noticed. Um, and just in terms of that coverage that you're talking about, Barry, how these uh, media agencies actually decide to portray these events. I saw from his second press briefing, the one following, uh, you know, the first one that I think took everyone by storm. And following that, Barry, I don't know about you, but I was in this constant... In, I had this constant valve of information flowing. I was listening to podcast after podcast. I'd get uh, a notification from a news agency and be watching the live broadcast for an hour, uh, you know, just nonstop. And uh, I mean, that was really interesting. So I think we can talk about that. But just in terms of that second press briefing, Barry, some of these news agencies actually stopped the live broadcast uh, straight away which again is unprecedented. That to me was the most interesting part of this whole thing, Chad, and specifically when Fox News did it. So for those who don't know, Trump is a huge Fox News fan and he's been tweeting them for the whole four years of his presidency and they've been very loyal and supportive of Trump throughout the whole thing. And so Trump has kind of picked them as, as his major news source and you see that all of his news comes from Fox News. Right. So for them to, in the middle of a Trump speech make the call to say, listen, there is no evidence of this fraud that he's talking about and it would be a public disservice to let him yeah. continue to speak on the air and pull that off the air. That to me was a monumental uh, moment because if, if, if anyone's going to do it, so like if Fox News does it, something is seriously, seriously wrong. Chad, it's, it's hard to believe that the US media are pulling live footage of their leader speaking yeah. off the air. That to me is, is un, like you said, unprecedented and it, it, it points to how divisive this man actually is and how, how weird this whole media landscape is right now. Yeah, it really is very strange, Barry. So just in terms of the, uh, I guess, the swell of it all and getting carried away ourselves in this news cycle, I felt something very similar at the beginning of the COVID outbreak. And somehow, although we're in our second peaks, at the moment, I still I don't find myself binge watching 
news releases and digging through articles as much as I did at the beginning of, uh, of the outbreak of COVID when it started affecting us in a profound way. Did you find this happen to you as well with this US election? Definitely I did. I, I, I got caught up in, in, in everything about it and I was watching way more than I should be uh, to the point that I kind of found it amusing because I don't know about you, Chad, but I'd watch for an hour or two and watch these guys with these big maps on these touchscreen <laughs> yes. um, systems and there'd be no news for like two hours but they had to put something yep. on the air and so there would just be these guys pushing on <laughs> things and talking about numbers and trying to make like news out of it. But this happened for three or four days in a row and the poor guys the poor news anchors are trying to sound enthusiastic <laughs> they're trying to bring new stuff to the audience but there's only so many times you can tap on a map, a map of Wisconsin and talk about how there's 2% difference between the two candidates um, and so I think it talks to how 24-7 news is pure entertainment yep. and it's designed to keep you addicted to it. It's designed to keep you watching, Chad. There was no need for me to, to here in Johannesburg to spend all those hours <laughs> watching it, but it's it's so well dramatized yep. and it's so interesting and so fascinating um, that they make it may make you want to watch it with the way yeah. that they, they they portray things. And so it's yeah, it's good and bad. It's good in the sense that it's gotten a lot more people involved in politics, which is always a good thing. True. The voter turnout, like you say, is a very, very good thing. You want as many people in your democracy voting as possible. That is kind of the best way to get the, the real feeling of the people and yeah. not kind of leave out people who don't want to vote. So that's a good thing. But the bad thing is that if you lose three or four days of your life being addicted <laughs> to this this crazy breaking news uh, story of people tapping maps on a touchscreen, <laughs> that's not a good thing. Did you have the same idea, Chad? Did you have the same kind of uh, experience? Yeah, 100%. It's this touchscreen. They're charting various paths that might happen. It's all in, con <laughs> it's all conjecture. It's all, you know, estimation. There's no, nothing backing it ultimately. And I found myself with the exact same observations, Barry. As soon as I saw the same little insert screened uh, for the fifth time, I eventually decided, you know what, <laughs> time to step off this wheel uh, because it's just it's just wasting time. It's not adding anything to my life. And although, you know, as much as it is such a, a big news story and something we will never see in our lifetimes again, uh, we don't need to be attached to the narrative 24-7. Yeah, definitely. And and it's kind of a, it's a Trojan horse for everything else we look at in our lives, right? So for those of us who are, are following the news on a regular basis, it's easy to get caught up in those kind of rabbit holes. Yeah. And and if you if you get caught up in those and you kind of, you let them become addictive, then I don't think it's good for you. I don't think it, it, it pulls distraction. It's all very sensationalized. It, it distracts you from what you should be doing with your life. Yeah. And so I think news is a very fine line. Obviously, you want to be informed. You want to be up to date with what's going on. You want to understand what the world is doing because that's important. But at the same time, you have to think about your information diets. Where is your information coming from? How are you collecting it? And, and how much time are you spending to collect this, these insights? A lot of the time, yeah. you can get all of the benefits for a much, much smaller percentage of your time. Um, and so I don't think anyone should be watching this 24-7 news at all. I think you should be getting on news from kind of more slower sources. You have more time to digest things and yeah. kind of get up to speed and make sure you're making the right calls. Because otherwise, you can get caught up in this Fox News rabbit hole or CNN rabbit hole or BBC rabbit hole and really find yourself completely indoctrinated into one set of ideas that is just kind of fed to you as breaking news alerts all the time. Yeah, you're 100% right. And we do need to think about our information sources a lot more. Now, Barry, let's answer the question of all questions. And I want to get your thoughts on it. Will Trump ever concede? 
again, Chad, this makes this election so strange that this is the first time, I think, in history that mm -hmm. a president has refused to concede after losing an election. And he's been very, very vocal about going to various states, all the swing states, and like filing lawsuits and trying to look for this election fraud. I don't know if he's going to concede. If you look at his personality over the last four years, in his whole life, basically, he's very, very much been the kind of guy that's going to fight this thing to the nail. And I think for him... Um, it's kind of a, it's it's his way of getting out of this this thing of being able to say I lost. He's going to be able to say the rest of his life that no, there was fraud, there was fraud, there was fraud, and I think he's going to like rely on that going forward to make sure that he doesn't feel like a loser in his own eyes. And so I don't think he's going to concede, Chad. And I think that's a terrible state of affairs when your sitting president refuses to phone the the winning candidates and say good luck on your new um, transition. Yeah, completely. And just in terms of that transition. You know, how cooperative is he going to be as well? Obviously, the process as it is, is there's this transition period, like you mentioned, I think sort of end of January, he actually, you know, comes in as president officially. But until then, he should be in the situation room, you know, seeing how these decisions get made, uh, looking at basically process and how all that stuff is followed. So... In terms of that transition, do you think it's going to be a smooth one? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. And um, based on what I've seen, I don't think the transition is going to be very willing. The good thing, though, is that Biden has been in this position for decades now, right? He's a very, very seasoned sure. politician. Of course, he was vice president to Barack Obama. Yeah. So he kn he knows how it works. He knows all the ins and outs. I, I, I get the feeling that he's very well prepared for the job. Sure. And so luckily, that's the case. If you had someone who's coming in who was a new politician and hadn't been in the White House before and hadn't been involved in all of those things before, then it'll be a different story. So I think the US are a little bit lucky in that sense that Joe Biden is so experienced. But at the same time, you really want the two guys to work together to make sure there is a smooth transition of power because it's such an important role to play. Yeah. The President of the United States is a crucial, crucial role for the whole world. And so you, you kind of want to see the transition happen in a way that can really like, celebrate the power of American democracy. And I just don't think we're going to see that. Yeah, really fascinating. Obviously, we're going to wait and see what actually happens. Uh, but it's fascinating. It really is. Barry, I'm just going to quickly take a little detour here. Keep on topic slightly, but we're going to lighten things up a little bit. Have you watched a series called New Girl? I have. I have. I love New Girl. Nice. I was watching an episode last night, and essentially they were talking about, they were at a wedding and looking at strategies of how to pick up a date at a wedding. <laughs> and uh, they were talking about the one strategy, which is, you know, wherever the night goes, you obviously pick your target. And whatever you do, just be there. Be there, be there, be there. And uh, Winston came on afterwards and he was like, yeah, this move is called the Joe Biden, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> I love that. I love that. The power of showing up, Chad. We always say 90% of it is showing up. And Joe Biden has been showing up his entire political career. Yeah. It's it's cr it's crazy to me, Chad. Like, even though I'm very glad Trump is going to be out of office, like, I think he's a horrible human being and I'm very glad we've got somebody else. But we can't forget the fact that the U.S. has have elected a 77-year-old grandpa, yeah. right? We, we can't ignore that fact. And Joe Biden is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Sure. There are a lot of problems there. So it's very much the lesser of two evils. Um, and so that's a great little metaphor there for, <laughs> for how long he's been around this kind of world. And the fact that he's now going to be president at 77 years old is, yeah. is crazy. Yeah, and we've got uh, Barack Obama's memoir which is going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks, I think. It's a two-part series. So I'm pretty sure we're going to see a tiny little bit more of a glimpse into this character, 
that is Joe Biden uh, through his presidency and how much he actually helped uh, Barack Obama. We know they were quite close as well. Yeah, definitely. I think they were very, very good friends and they really respected each other a lot. And so I'm looking forward to that memoir like you are. I think he's an amazing writer and speaker. So I know know it's going to be a great book no matter what. But I I think where the people are worried about Biden is his mental capacity. We've seen lots of instances on live TV over the last couple of months over the election campaign where he seems to lose his train of thought or he seems to kind of not be 100% there or not be as sharp as he once was in his younger days and so the biggest concern about biden i think is that mental capacity is that is he sharp enough is he fit enough and strong enough mentally and physically to take on this job we've seen that if you go and look at photos of people what they look like before the presidency versus after the presidency it is absolutely insane to see the amount of stress you go under in those four or eight years yeah. and i think that for biden that's going to be the biggest challenge trump seems to be like really on top of his game mentally and physically he seems to be sharp and throughout the whole election campaign he hasn't showed signs of his age whereas biden has and so the biggest concern i think is is, is, is that sharpness and so mm. while joe biden seems to be a decent a decent choice um at least according to the democrats it's whether he can actually survive the four four years or eight years even um, and, and still be as sharp as you need to be to make all those tough decisions. Yeah, definitely. I think there's going to be some tough decisions to be made. And let's just talk about the ones that affect us in the short term, Barry. So we're talking about the Paris Climate Accord, which I think uh, the week of the election um, was the kind of official date that the US would leave this accord. Uh, and Biden has really gone forward, been quite firm about the fact that they will be joining this accord again. Yeah, definitely. He, he tweeted out even before the election was over that if he won, he was going to go straight back into the accord. Yep. And I think it's a really good thing for the world. I think it's really important that the US is in that that climate accord as they are one of the biggest polluters and one of the biggest economies around the world. Yep. So it's very, very important he gets back in there. I think that leaving it was a terrible mistake and it was one that everyone is still scratching their heads today. Like, why the hell would you leave that thing when sustainability and global warming is such a big deal right now Mm. Um, and so I think that's a really good thing to see and uh, hopefully it's also just the start of many things as the Democrats start to take control potentially and start to move towards more sustainable future we know the Trump and his administration have been very very skeptical of global warming I'll I'll say it like that and they haven't really made the kind of decisions you would hope for from a a ginormous superpower like the US and so hopefully Joe Biden will be able to get the bipartisan support he needs to get through not only the, the climate accord but many other more sustainable bills and, and, and processes going forward so that the U.S. can lead the world when it comes to climate change. Yeah, and I guess the hurdle that he's going to reach is is looking at the actual results for the, for the Senate. So although he is in the White House, um, you know, the Senate is still a majority Republican. Do you think that's going to cause him any issues or, or big hurdles in the future? It's definitely going to make it more difficult. Um, as with all of these things, these things take time, and you have to get you have to get support from both parties at the yeah. end of the day. And that's it's 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 a it's a pro and a con of the American democracy um, and and their system, right? The the way that it works and the checks and balances means that you don't have a dictator running away with all the power. And so it actually makes a lot of sense, but it does slow down decision making in some cases. And this is going to be one of those. So whether he's charismatic enough and whether he can find yeah. the support that he needs to make it happen, I don't know. Um, it's certainly not going to be an easy task. But at least you've got a leader who's actually pushing for that agenda. And hopefully that pushes things in the right direction. Yeah, and I guess one of the other short-term pushes he's going to have is on the COVID response in the U.S. The numbers we've been seeing out of the U.S. have been just 
crazy. Barry, you said he's already set up a task force and is looking to tackle this uh, hands-on. Yeah, I mean, one of his major campaign strategies was just to like rail on how bad Trump had handled this whole pandemic, right? Yeah. And so now that if, if he's going to go into power, that's going to be a key part of his administration. He has already announced, I think it's a 12-person task force to kind of head up this effort and kind of try and turn this around. Like you say, the numbers in the U.S. are terrifying. Yeah. The growth there is really, really scary, and, and we, we, we haven't seen any kind of talk of, of how, how what the plan is going to be to fix that. And so Biden's coming in and trying to put that plan in place. I think he puts himself in a difficult position because to say that you're going to come in and solve a pandemic is very, very difficult to do. Um, no matter like how good your intentions are, it's a very, very difficult problem to control, especially when you've got 51 different states all with different rules and different thinking and different politics around this, this virus. And so I think he's he set some high expectations for what he's going to do with this virus. And we'll have to wait and see as to whether he can live up to it or not. But he's certainly going to give it his best attempt absolutely well let's see what he does when he does come in office officially okay barry so talking about covid response the natural chain of progression is basically what we've been looking for for a long time the key to get us out of this mess and that is a vaccine a vaccine that we can roll out on scale um, get our lives back to normal get the fatality rates down from this uh, thing that is COVID. And this past week, obviously, we've been talking quite a bit about the various candidates. Every country's got their own one going on. They're in various states of trials. But this past week, we saw some really, really positive news coming through from Pfizer and BioNTech. Yeah, very, very exciting news. They've been obviously doing clinical trials on their vaccines for a couple of months now, and they finally released results showing that their vaccine seems to be more than 90% effective, yeah, wow. which is an amazing number to think about. And basically what that means is that they they think that over 90% of the people who get given the vaccine will develop the antibodies necessary to fight the virus. And if that is the case, and if that proves to be the case as it starts to go into mass production, yeah. that is very, very good news, both for the US, but also for the world, because it kind of points to the fact that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and all the other vaccine guys that are doing similar kind of methodologies to Pfizer will hopefully see similar results if that's the case. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's very, very exciting, Chad. Of course, it's still early days, but it, it is one of those like po good points of news that really shows that maybe, maybe we've got a way to fight this thing. Absolutely. And this is a experimental approach, I believe. So this is a different approach to the one that's been followed by a lot of the other trials and uh, candidates that are out there. And I was reading an article yesterday about uh, basically one of the ladies who pioneered the research based out of Hungary. And, uh, you know, she had been fired from posts before. People thought she was crazy. Uh, and ultimately, here we are. And, uh, you know, the first route to market kind of thing. The first vaccine that looks like it's going to be the one. Yeah, definitely. As far as I understand, it attacks what's called a spike protein. And I don't know enough about medical stuff yeah. to be able to know what that is. But like you say, it is a little bit of a, a counterintuitive choice as opposed to some of the other vaccines around the world. Um, but if it does show this kind of efficacy, you can't argue with the results. And yeah. it was one of those things where... This is one of the benefits of having lots of people around the world trialing all sorts of different ways to do it and trying to find that magic bullet, that magic key that's going to unlock this virus for us. Of course, this is not the end of the end of the story. There's still lots of other strains sure. that are developing alongside the virus, but at least it points to a methodology that might have some promise. Yeah. And as we start to roll this out and see if it actually makes this effect that we think it's going to make, it could change this whole landscape about COVID and put us in a much better position going into 2021. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's talk about the vaccine and how it, it gets used, all of that kind of stuff. As far as I understand, Barry, it needs to be stored at a really, really cold temperature. I think it's around negative 70 degrees Celsius, somewhere around there. Um, so it needs to be stored and obviously transported at these kinds of temperatures. 
which is not an easy thing to do necessarily. Yeah, it's really not. It's going to be a real challenge logistically to try and figure out how we're going to distribute this virus all across the world. Of course, major cities who have the infrastructure will be able to, to figure out how to get that cold storage working and make sure that happens. But when you're talking about more rural areas, when you're talking about developing countries, when you're trying to transport the vaccine across vast distances, this cold storage makes it very, very difficult. And so I think there's still a lot of work to do here to figure out what is the production mechanism, where these things are going to be produced, and how you're going to transport them to where they're needed most. That is going to be a whole nother logistical yeah. nightmare. And so, like I say, even though if, even if we have this vaccine, that's still only half of the work done. You actually have to get it to the people that need it. Yep. And that's going to be the biggest challenge here. And so I think a lot of people are working right now on how are you going to get this cold storage right? How are you going to get into those rural areas and developing countries specifically? Yep. And uh, we have to wait and see as to any innovation in that space. And hopefully that pushes forward the, the way that these vaccines are transported and the way that they're stored when they get to where they're going getting it to the people who need it. Now, one of the good things to, to achieve that barrier is actually having an order, having some skin in the game, having an order. And the UK have secured 40 million doses of this vaccine. Obviously, it's a two-dose vaccine, so every single person requires two, I believe, a month apart. Uh, and so they've got that order in now. We're not sure exactly, I suppose, when they're going to come through, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but again, we got kind of politics around the world now deciding who gets which dose uh, as these things are produced. Yeah, it's such an interesting dilemma now because you don't have infinite supply just yet. You've still got a, a kind of constricted supply. So the question is, who, like you say, who gets it first? Do yep. you give it to old people first? Do you give it to hospitalized patients first? Do you give it to the young people so they can go back to work and open the economies up? There's a whole lot of ethical dilemmas here. So how do you triage these things? Is it a random thing? Is it who can pay for it? Uh, there's a whole bunch of different dilemmas here. For me, as someone who's interested in philosophy and interested in game theory and economics, this is a fascinating problem to try and yeah. get your head around. Definitely. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see like how different countries deal with it and like, how you get that right. And especially when you get your case, maybe imagine, Chad, you've got a situation when you've got like 30 or 40% of the population that's vaccinated. How do you act in public? Do those people, yeah. are they allowed to not wear masks? Are they allowed to go back to normal, whereas the people aren't vaccinated don't? Are you going to get a wristband or some sort of passport to prove <laughs> that you've been vaccinated? All of these things are going to come into play in the next yeah. couple months and it's really going to put a strain on our kind of interpersonal relationships especially if i'm vaccinated and you're not chad for example well this reminds me of the trailer we spoke about last week barry uh, <laughs> where there's a very very crazy scene uh, there's gunmen and they're you know they're about to shoot the guy and he reaches out and says i've got my band i've got my band uh, which kind of reminds me of that type of trailer yeah definitely and, and hopefully that's not the world we're going to where people have got guns on us chat but the same sort of the same sort of thing right is that when you have that vaccine does that make you immune completely we don't know yet yeah. does it make you completely able to go back to normal life we'll have to wait and see yeah, we will definitely have to wait and see. Now, Barry, you guys had another family meeting last me last <laughs> week, and it was actually called that by Cyril. He recognized it as such. How did that go? Oh, Chad, it was my favorite family meeting <laughs> so far. Because in the first two sentences, he literally said, we haven't had a national family meeting in a while. And so let's sit down and let's chat. Um, and it was a very positive family meeting, just talking about how well we've done as a country and how our cases are looking really stable. But also a little bit of caution talking about, we're going to the festive period where a lot of a lot of the South Africa goes down to the coast. And so we see lots and lots of transport across borders. And so he just kind of called for caution there. And people don't be stupid. Like, just be, just be like, relax. 
enjoy your festive period, but let's not do anything silly to get our cases back to where they were previously. Um, but the most exciting thing for me is that he talked about a manufacturing company in, P in PE in Port Elizabeth who have been given the mandate to start producing some of this Pfizer vaccine. Oh. And so hopefully there's going to be a lot of economic activity coming out of that. And of course, and try and produce millions and millions of doses of the vaccine for all around the world. Mm. But hopefully as South Africans, we get a piece of that action as well. And okay. so still lots of news to wait on, on that regard. But if that is the case, and if they do win that order and they get all that right, then hopefully we'll have a vaccine producer right in our hometown, which is really, really cool. Yeah, that's really interesting to me because Port Elizabeth for the last sort of decade has become this destination for even car manufacturers to set up plants to sort of assemble these cars instead of importing you know, fully assembled vehicles across the Atlantic kind of thing. And so they're kind of applying that business model in the same sort of way with this vaccine, which I think is really a great approach. Yeah, definitely. It's what Paul Elizabeth has done to stay relevant, right, over the last kind of dec few decades, is specializing themselves into a manufacturing hub. Yep. And like you say, the car manufacturers, all of the big guys are there, Volvo, BMW, all of the big names you yep. can think of have a plant in Port Elizabeth. And that plant services a lot of the rest of the world. And so it, th this is a great example of like applying that knowledge and that learning and that labor force to a different kind of manufacturing and really pulling that into South Africa. So that's yep. very, very exciting for Port Elizabeth but also for South Africa, it feels really good to know that we can have a part of this kind of uh, this process, this healing process, hopefully, of producing these vaccines, and that we're going to have a production facility very close to us, which is quite cool. Yeah, that really is quite something, Barry. So the next thing, I suppose, is how people react to this news. We saw straight away, literally the same day that this news release came out, uh, Boris came through in 10 Downing Street and held out a briefing to say, yes, over the hills, you know, the, the, the troops are coming. We can see them running, but there's a lot of things that still need to happen. We had all these various analogies about a train that's rocking up to the station. It needs to be cleared through security before people can disembark. All of these kind of analogies in that particular briefing and obviously that was there for one reason so that we don't get carried away because of the fact that there's help on its way because we still at the moment are in a point where we've got this uncontrollable peak and it's still coming this vaccine is not going to change that yeah there's a huge danger here of complacency because if you hear that news of 90 percent and you can kind of be justified almost in a way of thinking, okay, I can go back to normal life because I'll be fine. I'll figure it out. The vaccine will come. And that's the wrong That's the wrong way to do it. It really is not a good idea because this vaccine is still it's still far away. We, we don't know exactly when it's going to be mass available. We don't know when you as an individual are going to be able to get it, even if you have millions of orders in your country, wherever you are around the world. And so there's a danger here, people getting complacent and kind of going back to normal life and, and partying and tra traveling and gathering in mass, mass groups and all that sort of thing before the vaccine is really ready. And so I was reading an economist called Tyler Cowen, who's one of my favorite writers, who was writing in Bloomberg, talking about this idea and talking about how the logical thing is actually just to wait, is to yeah. say, cool, let me postpone my holiday for a few months. Maybe maybe in a few months my holiday will be perfectly safe yeah. because the vaccine is on the way. That's kind of the logical thing to do. Instead of going out and going crazy, kind of hunker down for a little bit so the light's at the end of the tunnel. We know this is, this is kind of going to come to an end. Yeah. So hold on, keep yourself safe, and make sure that you wait until that vaccine is here. But unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people are going to do that. Yeah. I mean, Chad, we were talking offline about how in London you feel like people, a lot of people are not <laughs> listening to the lockdown regulations and i think it's going to be the case around the world as this vaccine news starts to perpetuate kind of society i worry about people getting complacent and going back to normal life before it's actually justified yeah 100 a call for caution a call for calm let's not get ahead of ourselves uh we you know one step after the other let's then move on barry to the next segment 
Stuff I found interesting. So Chad, last weekend I was playing hockey and about three minutes in, I reached to make a tackle and felt my hamstring basically destroy <laughs> itself, right? I pulled it completely, I hobbled off to the side of the field, didn't play the rest of the game, kind of limped my way home, limped up the stairs to my apartment and lay down on the couch and I didn't move the rest of the day because I couldn't, I was in so much pain. Barry, you missed a key detail there. You were playing with a South African elite <laughs> Yes, the guy I was chasing was a guy by the name of Julian Hikes, who is South Africa's top goal scorer of all time. And so we, wow. were, we were playing against the South African Masters side, which is an, a South African side that's over 35 years old. Okay. So a really good game, and I was really enjoying the three minutes that I played before <laughs> I got injured. Um, but I pulled my hamstring, kind of came off, got home, lay on the couch, and basically just lay on that couch the whole day because I couldn't move, I was in so much pain. The only time I moved was to get my Uber Eats delivery when my, div- <laughs> when my dinner arrived. But other than that, I stayed on that couch. And the only good thing that came out of that whole experience was that I just binged watched a whole Netflix series in one sitting. Wow. And it was a series called The Queen's Gambit which is a seven part mini series that I found absolutely fascinating and that's why I wanted to chat about it. I don't know if you heard about it Chad. Have you heard about the story? Have you heard any reviews of it or anything? So I've seen how much you enjoyed it based on your Instagram postings and I think following that my fiance got a bit of inspiration and has been playing on in the background and I think she's really been enjoying it Uh, but nothing else more than that Barry so talk me through it. Yes definitely it is a weird kind of concept because it's a show about chess Chad which normally (laughs) wouldn't be seen as a very dramatic Netflix type show right. Chess is known as a a more solemn a more calm game that's played by, by people in school and then old people that's kind of the feeling around the world and that's just simply not the case anymore like luckily enough chess has really had a renaissance in the last couple years because of things like twitch and things like streaming where you can go and watch the best chess players in the world play online live and so that's kind of where the chess world has gone away from people sitting in an auditorium playing real like chess with wooden pieces to a lots and lots of live stream chess so chess has had a bit of a renaissance but it's difficult to make a show about it so when i heard about the show i was like oh how are they gonna how are they gonna make a chess show really exciting and the way they did a trade was by choosing a female protagonist for those who don't know chess is a very very male dominated sport if you look at the top 100 players worldwide they are all men and it's very much a, a male sport there's very few female players at the top level and so what the show does was it imagines a world where a female player is, is an absolute prodigy from the age of nine and grows up to become the number one player in the world and how her journey through this male dominated world kind of plays out and how people underestimate her and how people sexualize her and how all these things right. about how a female is growing up in this male-dominated sport. And it's a really, really fascinating journey watching this. So basically the story is that this girl grows up as an orphan, right? So no family, no background. She grows up in this girl's orphanage and she finds the janitor playing chess in the basement and so learns to play with the janitor and over time discovers she has this amazing ability okay. to see chess games many moves in advance and becomes this absolute prodigy. But then it's coupled with this other storyline where in the orphanage themselves, they're being fed like tranquil or kind of like pills that are helping these girls kind of remain calm and get rid of anxiety and whatnot. And she realizes that that the high she gets off these pills allows her to really get into the chess game Hmm. at a more like spiritual level almost and a more theoretical level. So there's these amazing shots, Chad, of uh, her looking up at the ceiling and seeing a chess board on the ceiling and being able to play games in her mind without actually having the board itself. And so it's this this dual storyline of a female in a male-dominated sport, but also a woman who grows up dependent on substances, dependent on alcohol and on drugs in order to do what she's doing. And so she's fighting two things. She's fighting her own addiction and her own abuse of these substances. 
but also fighting this male-dominated kind of landscape of the chess world. Mm. And it's it's beautifully shot. It's got this amazing kind of chrome feeling. All the colors are very, very, very well matched to her hair color and whatnot. And I think it's a wonderful series, Chad. I, can, I can't recommend it enough. Oh, stunning. I'm really pleased that you mentioned the colors because I'm such a nerd for, for color grades and good color grades. Uh, it's definitely something that makes me want to carry on watching something. So it's really interesting that you brought that up, Barry. Uh, but the, the storyline, the plot sounds wonderful. I've seen a few scenes, uh, as I said, uh, as it's playing in the background, and it does definitely look like a compelling series to watch. Now, the question that I have, Barry, is, is there going to be any extension to the series? Are we going to expect any future seasons i don't think that was the intention because it's based on a novel and, and the story okay. kind of came to a natural end so i don't think right. so but of course the the media are running with rumors and i think it's done really well so there's talk of maybe a season looking at her backstory or maybe looking at okay. different aspects maybe a different character or something but the way that the story ends i won't give it away but it ends at a real natural stopping point and because it was based on a novel itself i don't know if they'd go anywhere beyond it right. in my opinion they shouldn't i think it's a perfect piece of art as it is i don't okay. think you should ruin it with a sequel and so i think one season seven episodes is the perfect length for this sort of story and so i hope they don't do anything with it yet (laughs) wonderful wonderful i mean this really is just amazing all of the great stuff that's coming out from netflix your one subscription covers it all uh especially when we've been confined to our homes in these lockdowns one other thing that's getting released this week barry as we talk as people listen to this it will have been out and i bet a lot of people would have already binge watched it myself included uh, that is the <laughs> crown the the next season of the crown and as i said the trailers look absolutely epic are you keen for that release i'm so excited for it chad <laughs> i'm so so excited and of course it, it holds a very special place in across the pond hearts because it's it one does. of the first things we chatted about right at the beginning of our yep. show and uh, at, the, at that at that stage we were both obsessed with the Chad. You, you you introduced it to me and I really, really loved it. We really got caught up in all of it. And the fact that there's a new series coming out is very exciting, especially because it brings a very, very special character into the fold, Chad. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to that. We are obviously talking about Princess Diana. Really looking forward to that. And one of the other reasons why it's been a special kind of talking point in Across the Pond, Barry, is we actually got a comment on our YouTube clip uh, because we uploaded that particular clip as a separate clip in itself. We got a comment from someone who is from that area we're obviously talking about the Aberfan disaster and that for me was just uh, really interesting to to hear something from someone who who obviously had a lot more interest in this matter than than we did it's one of the best parts about this podcast is those serendipitous connections with people all around yeah. the world who connect to different parts of us of the stories we talk about and like you say that person was very kind and generous with her, with their words and kind of shared a whole story about mm. their life living in that little town and how it was affected and all that sort of thing so yeah one of the most amazing serendipitous moments of this podcast for me especially over the last year yeah. and the crown is one of those one of those shows that I, when i think about it i think about this podcast and so yeah. i'm looking forward to the new season i'm looking forward to chatting about it once i've watched it and uh, yeah if you haven't watched the crown yet now's a great time yeah. to get started there's lots and lots of cool stuff in that show yeah 100 percent. even if the monarchy doesn't come across normally as a uh, you know noteworthy uh, way to spend your time the crown is just fantastic okay barry you had some homework this week <laughs> did you do it i did chad i finished the documentary <laughs> and so i'm ready to chat <laughs> Wonderful. Now, we're talking about another offering on Netflix, and I had heard a lot about this from friends, from colleagues, from everyone, really, talking about this documentary that is called My Octopus Teacher. Now, it's a story about a guy in South Africa who, uh, you know, is, he comes from a film background. 
he has been you know following the the Khoisan, I think, uh, in out in the desert, documenting things over over years. He got to a stage in his career where he ultimately couldn't look at another edit suite, and I'm sure we've all felt the same way at some stage, Barry, where you you know you look at that desk and you you, it, you just need something different. You need a bit of a break, and so he went back to his kind of family home, uh, which is based on the coast. And really started diving on a daily basis, uh, diving kind of just with his own breath, not having a tank, nothing like that, and discovering the most wonderful thing, really, discovering an octopus, uh, which for me is a foreign object at this point in time. <laughs> I don't know too much about octopuses. They don't fascinate me that much. Uh, you know, I haven't really looked into them particularly, but this documentary, Barry, is quite something, isn't it? Chad, I'm the absolute opposite. I love octopuses. I've been thinking okay. about them for years now. They're one of my favorite animals because I think they are so okay. strange. And so when you told me about this, I was like, I am in. This sounds like my kind of thing. <laughs> and I didn't know it was about a South African guy until about 10 seconds in, yeah. I heard the accent and I was like, hold on a minute. That sounds remarkably <laughs> like a Western Cape accent. And it was. It's this guy on the Western Cape, like you say. And he started this journey by... like basically falling in love with this octopus in a sense, right, yeah. Chad? Because yeah. every single day he would go into that same water, try and find this little guy and follow it and kind of follow its whole life and film everything on as, as it went. And so what you get is this amazing documentary of a whole octopus's life. For those who don't know, an octopus only lives about a year or so. And, and so it's a very, very short life, very, very like exciting life in a sense. And he was able to film this entire thing and put together some amazing visuals to show the good, the bad, and the ugly of what it takes to live as an octopus in the deep sea. Absolutely, and it's fascinating. It really is. Uh, so I just picked out a couple of uh, key themes here for us to discuss, Barry. So the first one I want to discuss is about the creator himself. So we talk about the storytelling. We're talking just about him and the fact that he went on this journey to get obsessed, ultimately, with one octopus, like you say, fall in love with it. Uh, I get to the point of, of kind of sh shedding a tear when he, when he speaks about the experience. And a lot of people have told me that they think he's a bit of a goof, ultimately. Uh, and, you know, ultimately, I, I kind of thought about this. Do I think he's a freak? Do I think he has just established this profound relationship with nature? Um, and, you know, when I'm thinking about it myself, Barry, there are a lot of times where he could have interfered with nature. We talk about the shark scenes. It's these wonderful scenes, which we'll talk about in a little bit more detail in terms of the cinematics and filming it. Uh, but he could have kind of got involved and, and stopped nature from actually happening. And for me, he, he held back. He, he just respected it, observed it, watched it. So as much as he, yes, became obsessed with it and yes, fell in love with an oct octopus and yes, spent nights studying this thing. Uh, ultimately, for me, he, he showed a bit of restraint and I don't think he's a weirdo in the same way that some of my friends do. What do you think? Chad, you have to be a little bit crazy to do what he did, right? You have to be a little bit. Yeah. You can't be completely <laughs> rational about this. The fact that he spent a year, his whole life, only thinking about this octopus. You have to be a little bit crazy to do that. But that sure. is the best part about humanity. The best part about humans are their ability to get obsessed about things to the state where they have to figure out what's going on. You can think about yeah. any field you, you, you can imagine. There are people that are obsessed with that thing, and those are the people who change the world. The people who change the world are the ones who are obsessed with one thing, and they become absolutely crazy about it. And so the fact that this guy did it about an octopus that he found in, in the ocean, it, it just shows how humanity can has such wide interests and can be completely different we have our obsessions chad we have things that we obsess about yeah. to the extent where 
other people might look at us and be like, that's a bit strange, right? And so, <laughs> it, it's, it, 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 of course, he's a strange guy because you have to be in order to make this sort of documentary. Yeah. But I'm so grateful that he did because he shows you a life, it shows you a world and an ecosystem that we would never have come across, Chad. We would mm. never have seen that kind of footage if he wasn't able to go and do that on a daily basis. And so, yes, I agree yeah. that he's, a, he's, not a, he's not your normal, normal, like suit and tie kind of person. But the fact that he did this yeah. really kind of shows the diversity of the world but also in humanity and what makes us tick. Wonderful. I'm glad we're on the same page about that, Barry, because I've seen some people uh, really, really quite emphatic about how much weirder this guy is. Um, but anyway, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I enjoyed his storytelling. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was a great little story, ultimately. I think a lot of the memes came from from what I found quite amusing as well is these long shots of his face with dead silence and just watching him kind of <laughs> thinking about his process. And I think everyone kind of memed yeah. that because that, that was quite, a, quite, quite <laughs> hilarious. Um, but I don't think it's a fair reflection of him as, as a person or as a, as, a, as a nature person, like you say, as a, conf as, as a conservationist, he was very, very clear. He knew what he was doing. He was an expert in this field. He knew he was, shouldn't interfere. And the fact that he got this footage, is it makes all of it okay. Well, let's talk about that footage, Barry, because you and I both love cinematic film but now we're not we, we're talking we're not talking about a scale of a production where you've got a whole massive team of people you're talking about one guy yes who has got experience in documenting things and many many years of experience in that vein but one guy who's ultimately going out with his camera maybe going with his son a few times to film him uh, obviously setting up shots with, with his camera and and I was blown away by the kind of footage that he got especially when we talk about the shark scenes Barry uh, tracking the events, uh, ultimately making sure that he is breathing underwater while this stuff is happening. I was fascinated by it. Chad, I wanted to ask you how the hell he did it because I can't figure it out. I don't know how you do it without a scuba tank, right? So for those who don't know, he yeah. wasn't—he didn't have oxygen. He was diving in, holding his breath for as many as, as many minutes as he could, and then going up to get breath again. And so yeah. he was holding a camera, swimming, chasing this this octopus, and getting the shots while holding his breath and kind of maintaining some sort of stability. I, I don't know how he did it, and the footage is absolutely incredible. I was blown away by how how good it is, and like you said the shark scenes there's this one yeah. scene where the shark is chasing the octopus must be chasing him for a good 10-20 minutes I would imagine and he captures this entire chase on film while he is sewing behind the thing and I don't know how he pulled it off Chad it's, it's remarkable I don't have any answers for you Barry because <laughs> I was looking at that just thinking what the heck you know I mean if we're thinking of like a Disney nature documentary Barry or a National Geographic or something like that we would expect these kind of cinematic scenes because they've got the infrastructure they've got the teams of people etc etc but this is just one guy who I presume just filmed this and then after the fact came across to netflix and said guys i've got a full-length documentary series so it was just filming this with no real expectation of what he was going to get uh, and for me that's why i'm just fascinated and equally perplexed barry like you as to how he got this footage in the first place I had just watched uh, David Attenborough's new one, A Life on Our Planet. We chatted about it in, the, yep. in two, weeks, two episodes ago. And I was comparing the footage, and it was basically the same kind of quality. Yeah. And you know that David Attenborough's got the best film crews in the world, got huge budgets mm. behind their productions. So the fact that this one guy was carrying this camera, or I don't know if it was a GoPro on his chest, I don't know how he did it, but somehow he brings you into this world without interfering at all and gives you this amazing perspective on this octopus's life right up close, like right next to it in yeah. a way that... That I've never seen done before with marine animals and so it really was a really special documentary something very very different to what I've seen in the past and I, I yeah. can't recommend it enough you have to go and see this thing 
Absolutely. I have nothing more to say, Barry. Let's move on to our next segment. Looking ahead. We're looking ahead a little bit today, Barry, and we're looking ahead in the future of that which is the giant that is Apple and their strategy ultimately with their their Mac system. So they announced, was it earlier this year? We spoke a little bit about it, Barry, that they're going to be transitioning from Intel chips to their own silicon chips and something that they have been doing for a while with their iPhones and iPads and all kinds of other devices is having control of the chip. But when it came to actual computing and uh, I suppose just their Mac family, they had stuck to the Intel line because it meant greater compatibility. People could install Windows uh, operating systems onto their machines, etc., etc. And they've now made that transition. We saw this last week the third out of their trilogy series of uh, you know kind of events of unveilings this year. Ultimately, in the last couple of months, really, uh, this one was dubbed "One More Thing." And uh, I thought it was great. Have you seen any highlight clips of it after the fact, Barry? I did watch one of those 10-minute highlights, so I, I got the, the, the basic foundations of what they were chatting about. Cool. But like you say, it's, it's one of those classic business school cases of vertical integration, right? Trying to tie the software and the hardware even closer together. And that's what Apple is really yeah. good at. Their things work so incredibly well together. And so now by taking Intel out of that process and making their own chips, that really does point to a whole new era of Apple technology. And I think that you're going to point to a lot of that in our conversation now, Chad. Definitely. And these chips seem to be pretty integrated within the chip. You've got the CPU, you've got the GPU, you've got the RAM even, uh, which I was quite surprised by. But obviously the benefits of having all of the stuff in together means you know less kind of buses and slow transformation of data. And ultimately everything's right there in the same place. It's, it's quick and easy for things to transfer. But also it means, uh, you know, more control for Apple and a lack of customizability for for us, where historically we've been able to still switch out our hard drives and our RAM modules in various models of uh, MacBooks or Mac Minis, etc. But this is going to mean that you're going to buy your configuration and you're going to stick to it. That's what you're going to be using, uh, which obviously I suppose Apple is quite a big fan of. But the things for me, Barry, is the, some of the claims that they made in this uh, in this announcement are pretty crazy. We've got some charts here that have no scales on the x and y axes uh, we've got all of these wonderful looking graphs we've got three times four times five times performance better than the performing uh, fastest in its class etc 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 and ultimately because of the fact that they're not actually out there and we haven't had people doing reliable tests yet we're not sure what to believe exactly and, and the, the way that apple does it is so smart because they pull all these stats up and they make it seem like 4x, 5x. <laughs> but unless you're a real, real tech nerd, it's hard to understand exactly what it means yeah. for you as a consumer, right? For the vast majority of people, the current MacBooks are way more powerful than what anyone will use it for. It's only for like mm -hmm. that small portion at the top of the market who are really putting a lot of pressure on that RAM or a lot of pressure on that GPU, when it, whether it comes to video editing or gaming or kind of mass machine learning type uh, production things. Other than that, if you're just using email and uh, kind of photos and YouTube and stuff, you're not going to notice these performance improvements, I don't yeah. think. And so that was makes, that's what makes it so difficult to understand exactly what it means when it says 4x faster or 4x better performance because they already are such incredible machines as is, Chad. Yeah, it really is fascinating. I suppose they did give a few little practical examples. So in your case, Barry, as you're using the MacBook Air, Intel-based MacBook Air, on this new MacBook Air, you'll be able to edit video with a few tracks of 4K ProRes footage running without even missing a frame. Now, I know you've oh, wow. been editing video before once or twice. And uh, I mean, you can talk to some of the challenges that you have 
uh, when your hardware doesn't quite keep up. Chad, I think it's the number one thing that's been standing in the way of me making more videos is just how much my computer struggles to handle like real mm. high quality footage. And so that's really exciting if that's the case because that can open up a whole new market of video creators. At the moment, like my video editing is very constrained based on the kind of the capacity my computer has. And so if I yeah. was able to get something that can work with that high quality footage, that opens up a whole new bunch of opportunities. And so that's quite exciting. I didn't think about it in the sense that for the bottom of the range stuff, with the MacBook yeah. Air is the bottom of the range stuff for, for, the, for their laptops it can really bring the performance up to a much more powerful level and um, that's really exciting i think yeah and i think that came through in a very very profound way here barry in, in a way that you're kind of wondering whether it's actually worth getting the macbook pro i think the only extra benefits is in that slightly bigger profile is you have a little bit more cooling uh, capability and sure. so you can push that chip a little bit further but from the way i understand this it's the same chip that's going in the macbook air and the same chip that's going in the macbook pro so we ultimately talking about the cooling uh in terms of a little bit of an extra performance gain so new macbook air new mac mini which is back i'm quite excited about that <laughs> because i had a mac mini it was my first uh you know proper proper mac uh, and i i loved having it uh, we got the macbook pro as i said but only a 13-inch model, so they haven't unveiled anything more. So a lot of people are still kind of waiting in limbo. When are we going to get some more? Obviously, we know those people with their massive towers are looking for the Mac Pros, wondering when those are going to be released. Uh, but yeah, really interesting stuff to know that these things are going to be in the market uh, within a week of that announcement. And kind of at the same time, Barry, they've rolled out their new operating system, which we're always very excited about because it kind of makes us feel like we have a new machine, right? <laughs> a new visual inter interface. It feels like we've done a big upgrade where ultimately it's just the software that's being changed. And that is Mac OS Big Sur. Now, I've attached a little screenshot here, Barry, of the removable hard drive icon, which I saw as soon as I did the upgrade. And I'm not impressed. <laughs> I don't know why icons are so <laughs> polarizing to people, right? Whenever there's a new upgrade, whenever people change the design, the very first thing people worry about is icons. We had this thing when, <laughs> I, I don't know I don't know if you've been following the Google stuff, Chad, but Google's recently changed all of their icons for Gmail and Drive and all of these things, and yes. people are losing their shit at it. <laughs> they are completely all over the place around these icons. Mm. And this is another great example. I, I, I agree with you, Chad. It does look like a kid <laughs> drew this thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the it's the reflection of it. It's just too the shiny. Angle, it, like it almost yeah, it's the angle, it's the color. We're being highly highly critical about this, but uh, you know, I would have thought Apple would have thought a little bit further. Uh, but anyway, Big Sur is out. Uh, it's got a sleeker user interface and design, and it's kind of bringing you more to the iOS type experience. You've got control centers come through, notifications, uh, a new Safari browser, new iMessage, all that kind of stuff. Uh, will you be doing an upgrade anytime soon? I, I, I do plan to, Chad. I, I, I did try uh, yesterday, I think it was, and it told me that I needed 13 gigs more space. And so uh, I've got to chuck a whole bunch of my stuff onto an external and do yeah. upgrade and then bring it back on. So at some stage, I'll get back to that admin <laughs> and then I'll be on the same page as you and we can sit and talk about icons together, Chad. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, before you take out that <laughs> external drive, just appreciate the icon as it is, Barry, because <laughs> it's going to be changing before your eyes and that's going to be quite dramatic. <laughs> now, the last thing that I enjoyed a heck of a lot, and I don't know, a lot more than I think I should have in watching this unveiling and watching the cinematic event from Apple again, is I thoroughly enjoyed seeing the mm -hmm founder <laughs> on that on that uh, unveiling in one of the promo clips and then right at the end seeing Phineas uh, using the new MacBook Pro as well uh, just talking about some of the comments and speed and stuff and that's two very big nods of approval from across the pond 
Chad, there's only one explanation for this. <laughs> Tim Cook must watch our show, right? He must watch our show because this is Across the yep. Pond really pulling through its value. So for those who don't yep. know, Across the Pond, we've been shouting the praises of mm-hmm and of <laughs> Phineas for a long time now. And so it's really great that Apple are listening to our show. Guys, please sponsor us. If you're listening right now, you need to sponsor our show. Please, we will. We are please. the biggest fanboys possible and we appreciate you taking our, 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 our nods of approval <laughs> and our kind of suggestions for your promo clips. And beyond just sponsoring us, also give us some kindness with the algorithm. Yes. Do that too, please. Because <laughs> we'll definitely, definitely appreciate that. Barry, it's been a wacky hour. We've thoroughly enjoyed speaking very passionately. But we've reached the end yet again. Yet another episode is in the can, Chad. And uh, as always, it's a lot of fun. I really look forward to these recording sessions. And I hope that if you're listening or watching right now, that you enjoy consuming this content and that you are really enjoying the kind of stuff we bring to the show. Absolutely. And if you know anyone who would enjoy potentially even enjoy this podcast please do introduce us to them and we'll be really grateful for that thanks again for taking a listen we'll be back next week oh, across the pond.